I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, Essie Flinor, and today I am caffeinated. I am pumped. I am ready because we have a super special guest here. I'm absolutely delighted to introduce the one and only Elizabeth Peach. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting Woo! me. Yes, huge fan. So if you are not familiar with Elizabeth, then you aren't paying attention. Uh, Elizabeth is one of the great folks behind the incredibly popular War MPs comic. I think you all now have a million followers on Instagram when I looked, which was just like, what? My brain. And also the author, illustrator, creative mind, perhaps bordering on insanity behind the incredible graphic novel collection of Fun Girl, which I think has, which I know has three volumes now. And I am just, I'm so happy to have you here today. I cannot wait to talk to you about how funny your work is, about the creative process, working with a partner, all that jazz. But I just wanted to start with a very warm welcome and just say, oh my God, you're so funny. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I hope I can. Uh, yeah, I bet. Like, I, I feel uh, very flattered. And I hope I'm uh, now I feel like I'm going to disappoint some of them. <laughs> I feel like I have to be funny today. No, yeah. you don't have to okay. be funny. I, I your work speaks for itself. You know, you just be yeah, you. because I'm yeah, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not a funny person. I don't think so. I'll try. You know what? Let's start there. I think, you know, I think about humor a lot. I love to laugh. I love to tell jokes. I love to like write funny, you know, 
punchlines. That's part of why I love your comic work so much is, especially with War and Peace, that like that four panel punchline, it is just, it's so satisfying to read, you know, when you get that last panel, you're like, Ooh, that felt good. And I'm curious for you, like, what was it that made you think like, yeah, this four part, this four panel format, at least, you know, to start with, with war and peas, like, what was it that drew it to you? You drew you to it. Was it that punchline ability? Was it, what was it? Um, yeah, definitely partly the punchline ability. Like, I think it was a sort of a challenge that we enjoyed having at the beginning when we started doing comics. So Jonathan and I, we started making regular web comics during, um, during university. We met at art school and we just like started a WordPress blog back when WordPress was still, still a thing and, <laughs> and, tum- and Tumblr was still a thing. And um, yeah. And then we just like really enjoyed the, that short format because it gave us, um, gave us like the little challenge of, okay, here's this funny idea, like the sketch in our minds. And now let's try to, um, really distill it into a concise four panel little mini drama and um, especially like you know with an unexpected twist or an unexpected turn and really using like the break between the panels to surprise um, mm. and that's yeah that was just like a fun exercise and then we noticed like oh if we practice it we get better and it's more you know more fun and people are enjoying it so it kind of just gained momentum from that point. Yeah, it sure did. <laughs> I mean, you're a little, I mean, I think you're at like a decade plus now of doing this, right? So I think you, maybe you all started yeah. like around 2010. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that that that's about right. I think 2012, we like officially said, okay, we're going to do like a webcomic now. Mm. That's so exciting. You know, part of what I wanted to hear about is what it was like forming the collaboration with Jonathan Kuntz, who, you know, you said you met in art school. And, you know, like, I think when we're creative people, like, we hit it off with a lot of folks. We're all, like, generating ideas all the time. So I'm curious when it went from, like, oh, this is fun to talk about, to, like, maybe collab and play with, to, like, let's do this. Like, let's, you know, what made you hit that point in 2012 of, like, okay, we're doing the webcomic? And is there a moment you remember where things just sort of clicked with Jonathan? Yeah, it's a really good question. But I think with Jonathan and I, we sort of clicked very, very quickly. I think we were like what you would call fast friends because we have almost the exact same humor, but just varied enough to also push each other a little bit. I don't know if that makes sense. So, you know, it's, it's enough to overlap and really like bounce ideas off of each other, but also, um, varied enough to not be like an echo chamber so mm, mm, I think mm. we we have like a yeah we sort of had like this process which started pretty early that one one of us says one thing then the other's like oh yeah and then this and then the others oh yeah and then this and we we quickly realized that we are very good at like making these absurd uh, stupid um elaborate you know catastrophes out of like nothing <laughs> and yeah. we just like laughed our asses off like all the time doing it and then we noticed like oh wait you know we could actually like do this and make it make it like um make it like a thing um so that, I think that's like how our style was born and I think part of it was also just like the disenchantment of university life. Like we went to art school, Mm. both like really idealistic, like, oh yeah, we're going to go to art school and we're going to be artists. And then after like six months, we were like, oh my God, you know, this is, this is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily, (laughs) not necessarily like, like that, that like the people, like, I mean, a lot of things at art school were really cool, but just like the concept of, oh, you know, um, 
what's going to happen, what what you have to do to survive in like the art world was mm-hmm. just like so dis- disenchanting that we were like, oh no. And we had like all these professors that were like, oh, you need to make serious art. And this is what art is. And this is what art is not. And then we were like, but we want to make comics. And then they're like, no, you can't do that. You're at a serious art school. So we just like did it anyway, I guess. And that kind of gave <laughs> us a little bit of, <laughs> that kind of gave us a little bit of like a creative freedom because we were like okay well we're doing we're not doing what we're supposed to do anyway so we might as well just do whatever the hell we want um yeah so that was kind of like the origin of war and peace yes oh and I I wanted to know about the name war and peace because you know obviously it's a play on war and peace and part of me is like I I love it because it's just so absurd like because it's like war and then peas. And that kind of gets at what the comic is, right? It's like sometimes these really big things paired with like really small mundane parts of life. But was it just hilarious or were you like, ooh, yeah, like this this, this encapsulates what we're trying to do? Oh, it was both at the same time. It kind of came out yes. of a sketch, a doodle uh, that was in one of our sketchbooks um, many, like 10 years ago. And we were like, just this carrot reading a book, um, War and Peas. And um, when we were looking for like a proper name, we were like, oh, this is this is basically it. You know, we're a duo. That's mm-hmm. the War and Peas. It signifies that sort of duality. And it also signifies, like you were saying, like that thing, like we want to talk about the stupid and the, and the profound at mm. the same time. Or we want to make the profound stupid and the stupid profound or the silly profound silly and the other way around. Mm-hmm. And that... That is sort of like, those are the, that's the type of um, humor that we enjoy most. And we thought like, oh, the name is really like fitting, I guess. Mm, I love that. You know, I was reading an interview with you and Jonathan in the Alipore Post, and you said, or I mean, I don't, I don't know who said it, but together y'all said um, that, you know, you referred to it as War and Peace has become like a company and that you've learned a lot of productive procedures for how you run your company. And I'm curious if you could extrapolate on that, because I think a lot of our listeners are creatives who are maybe trying to figure out how do you make that, for lack of a better term, business side come together. And then how do you do it in a way where exactly what you were saying about art school, it felt like, oh, this is such a horrible way to like the only way you can make it with art. You obviously have created this other way. So I'm I'm curious over those, you know, uh, I think it's 11 years now since you officially decided, you know, how has that grown? And then what does it mean now to you to be a company? And what does it mean to be, you know, to have productive procedures? I'm just very attracted to those ideas. Yeah, that's um, that's actually something something we we've thought a lot about in the last couple of years because it was definitely something that needed to happen in order to be sustainable and to keep on creating web comics. Um, I think it's very it's it's a business model that sort of no one teaches you, so it's a lot of learning by doing, and that's how we approached it as well. So when we started, we basically gave out everything for free for the first like four or five years, and then we noticed like, oh, okay, we have like oh, we have like all these followers and readers and like people that are enjoying it. But hmm, how, how do we turn that into a sustainable income for us so that we can cont- continue to keep doing that? Because I mean, that's just the reality of it. You know, if if we the eternal struggle, the <laughs> yes, eternal struggle, independent really work, is. right? If you're in the like, yeah. it's hard. It is hard. And it is definitely something that, you know, I ha- I do have like a lot of resentment. I always say like, I hate money, but I need it to live. So Oof. it's like, that's just like the deal, you know, that's, that's just the reality of it. So we were trying to think of a way 
how can we make war and peace sort of carry itself? How can we make it do that in a way that's like as non-invasive as possible and as non, um, you know, we don't want to be like, you know, hey, <laughs> everything like, you know, there's so many ways to go about it. And some of them are definitely not cool or less cool than others. So we were thinking of a way like, mm. how can we keep providing, you know, this comic relief or this this sort of thing that people are enjoying without without like having to starve ourselves in the process. And mm. I think a lot of things sort of happened at the same time that were really, really good timing for us. So I think we had some luck, luck in that um, area that we were pretty we were pretty early on in on social media with webcomics, so we did have quite a following when, for example, Patreon came to the table. Mm. So when Patreon, they actually like approached us when we were um, uh, when they were just getting fa- like just founded mm. and asked us to become like a, one of the founding, uh, like one of like the people on the platform. And mm. we were sort of like, oh, what's this? This is like a new idea, and we weren't really, you know, we were like, oh, is this gonna work, or is this just some some new fad, um, fad mm-hmm. app or fad uh, site, but we joined and we were like, okay, I mean, it sounds cool. Let's just give it a shot. And now like six, six, I think six years later, we are very, very happy that we did that because Patreon is for us at least, um, a very important source of like income and something that we prioritize really highly. So we have lots of things that we will do like just for our patrons because we understand that these are like the people that are really, really into our work. And we totally like that gives us so much energy. And then, you know, so we'll do a lot of stuff like we'll do like extra comics or like AMAs with them. Or we have like this thing where we send them like little stickers and little goodies that we make just for them that aren't available anywhere else. So just like sort of appreciating that there are people out there that are like very connected to your work, that love your characters, that'll, you know, they'll write you like that awesome note. Um, you know, be like, oh my God, you know, this happened last week and I had uh, your comic and, you know, it really made me laugh and it really saved my day. And, you know, I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but that is sort of, we're, Jonathan and I were both really, we're kind of romantic in that sense that, you know, that really does still give us like that, like that feeling of, oh yeah, that, that's it. That's like the reason we're doing it is like to connect with people because let's be honest, I mean, there are easier ways to make money. I don't think you... <laughs> You wouldn't be in webcomics if it's something that, you know, if it's not about connecting with other people. I think there is a big, a big part of it or a big part of like doing literary or like work in general, like storytelling work in general, that you want to connect with someone and you're Mm -hmm. putting your stories out there so that other people can read them. So Patreon was really a platform that, or it still is, I hope it continues to be that, um, that sort of alleviated that financial pain of how are we going to live from this? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, Patreon's been so important for us as a podcast as well. So shout out to all the patrons out there. We love you. Just yes, shout out. <laughs> shout you out. Shout out. Really yes. You were going to say something. Yeah. I interrupted. I'm sorry. No, no. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Patreon was like one, one of those um, pillars. And I think one thing that we were always like really um, – aware of is that never put all of your like uh, confidence into like one specific Mm -hmm. um, place because like for example we would like we did the Patreon but then we're like oh you know well if Patreon doesn't work out you know we should maybe have like some other options so one of the other things that we also were um, really happy to get really like get in early on was Webtoons I don't know if you're familiar with that platform Mm -hmm. like yeah just like this webcomic platform that offers um, 
it's sort of similar to like YouTube that it offers like an ad revenue service for creators or an ad revenue program for creators. So you post your work on there for free. And depending on how many people look at your work, you will get a share of the ad revenue that the site makes when it like mm. puts little ads somewhere in the app or on the site. And yeah, and it was just like being open to things like that, that were, you know, obviously, you know, not like, of course, in an ideal world, I would not want to have like my um, site, like have my comic on a site where there's advertising maybe for Scholl's foot pads next to it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's one of the things I was like, OK, this is something I can live with. This is something that, you know, is sustainable in the sense that, um, yeah, that it's that it could, you know, it could go on for some time without being um, too invasive. And the other thing mm -hmm. is, I really do think that the Internet is moving toward the sort of realization or I think people are having more and more the realization if I'm fed up with um, advertising and I don't want to see it anymore, then I need to invest something because basically there's two ways of, you know, that corporations make money online. And that's basically either you're selling your data, your movement, basically your um, your attention, which is how they get money from advertisers or to opt out of that. I need to be able to pay um, the creator uh, directly, which would be like a model with mm -hmm. Patreon. So, so something like, Webtoons or Patreon, those are like the two models that are um, that are competing at the moment. One of them is more, okay, I'm getting something for free. I'm not paying for it directly, but I'm paying with my attention because I have to look at the stupid ad maybe for a second to see the next comic. And the other thing is I'm paying a dollar a month and I get everything that this creator makes, you know, without any um, advertising. And I think the more fed up people get with advertising, the more they're going to realize, hey, Let's go more over to this um, model where I get to choose what I see and I get I pay like maybe a monthly um, subscription. And I, I see a lot of like big sites already going that direction, you know, with like YouTube premium or YouTube subscriptions and stuff like that. So I think I think there's a real like shift in people realizing, um, OK, you know, people need to live off of this work and I'm willing to pay mm -hmm. like a little, you know, a little amount each month to get like really cool, good content. Yeah, you know, I think uh, it's so cool to hear you talk about it because that's very much what's happened with the podcast. We recently joined the Realm Network and part of what they help provide is that advertising on episodes. So when you're listening to this episode, listeners, yes, you heard some ads and that's how we keep the podcast going. We also have the Patreon and you're right. That's exactly what the difference is, Elizabeth. I hadn't thought about that, but like our Patreon, you know, you get the same episodes, you get them early and you get them ad free. Haha, -ha, maybe a reason to sign up, my friends. <laughs> patreon.com slash queer spec. Uh, but, you know, it's also, I, you know, I have no beef. I'm like, either way, it's like, do what's right for you. If you don't have the money to, to like, to support us monthly, that's fine. You have to pay with, like you say, attention. You know, diversifying your income streams, as they say, is very important when you're a creative because things also collapse sometimes. And that can be really scary. Like, I know even for us with Twitter, you know, changing as often and as badly as it is. Like, that's one of the places we had the biggest audience. So now we're like, oh, okay, good thing we have audiences other places. And it's not one-to-one -one with, like, you know, the, the platforms that help provide financing, but it is, you know, it's another piece of that creative work that can be really, really challenging. And, you know, I'm thinking about you all on Instagram, and I know that Instagram's been sort of uh, promoting video more, and I've seen you all sort of start to put together some videos with your uh, strips. And I'm curious if that's a response to the to Instagram's platform changing. Um, yeah, yeah. 
what you're just saying um, a moment ago about um, about like Twitter and always being like wary of like a platform ending. That's something that we, you know, yeah, that I'm really happy that we think in that um, think that way as well. And um, that's one of the things that maybe I would give as a tip to other comic creators is to always have your own website because that's like that's like the it, a lot of like we had some comic colleagues, for example, that were just on social media. And if that social media site like changes their algorithm or changes their data policy and you or, you know, even if, you know, things just stagnate there for a bit, then you could be in real trouble because you're not reaching mm. the people anymore that you're used to reaching. But with your own website, if you have like maybe um, with an, a corporation like a newsletter or something, then you have full control over that and no one can censor you. I mean, we've had like I mean, with Fun Girl and War and Peace, I've had also like several occasions where comics were just like taken off social media sites. And I thought like, oh, well, mm. you know, sh- shit, I'm not like reaching people because, you know, this doesn't um, fit with their guidelines. So I could always say like, OK, well, you know, I'm going to post it on my website or we'll just have it here. Mm. Um, so that was something that was really always very important to have like your own website where you're independent and no one can take that away from you. That's that's like the gold standard, I'd say. Mm. And everything else is just like. Um, like sort of an uh, like yeah like a like a just like a assortment of like social media um, that would come as a as a supplement to the to the main website Mm. and also like to prioritize the website yeah Yeah, Mm. because people I mean that's like I think that people that are willing to like subscribe to your newsletter that's like the same thing we like as patreon those are people that are very invested in your work and that's worth a lot. You know, they really want it. They want to get an email from you maybe once a week to see, you know, what's going on. Do you have like new book or new work coming out or, you know, what's, you know, what's just going on with you creatively. And um, I think that's more worth more. If you're thinking of like a following standpoint, that's worth more to you as a creator, as an artist, than maybe like a follow on Instagram, which, you know, I think that a lot of people notice like, okay, you have like, People say like, oh, yeah, you have one million followers on Instagram with War and Peace. And then they think like, oh, you must have like one dollar for each follower and you make a million dollars. <laughs> I and wish, right? That's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess. But that's like not how it works at all. I mean, I think that's like a lot of the things also that like publishers think. They see like the numbers and they get like the dollar bills in their eyes like, wah, wah, you know, like. Um, they're like, oh, wow, these books will sell themselves. And then we have to like explain to them, you know, no, definitely not. I mean, an Instagram follow is is nice, and it's something that you know. Of course, we we're we're happy that that it's you know that it's like that, but it's not something that you can directly translate um, to someone that would buy your book or that's really really into mm-hmm. your that your work and will follow you maybe over a decade or two. Mm-hmm. So yeah, social media is fickle. I think that's a really really good point. I had noticed you'd started to adapt some of your your four panels into video, and I was just curious if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, that was an idea that we kind of had in, like you were saying, in response to like, oh, no, uh, um, do we have to make everything a, vi- <laughs> a video now? And I think <laughs> That's it was, real. That's real. Yeah. So it's like I, we were like really griping about it for some time because it was just something that, you know, I mean, also, I think there's always like two wolves inside of us or maybe we're, we're both one wolf. Um, like, at least Jonathan <laughs> and I will be like, oh, no, here's this new demand. And then we'll be like, no, we don't want to do this. We'll be like stubborn about it. And then we'll be like, oh, well, maybe we don't want to be so stubborn. Maybe just try it out and see how it is. So I think that's like the stage that we're in at the moment with like mm. um, trying trying something out, like not being against it out of principle, but just like seeing, okay, would, the, would it even work in 
this adapted format. And sometimes I'll be happy with it. I think some strips, they work really well and others they don't at Mm -hmm. all. So it's just the, yeah, like I was saying before, like a learning by doing. And basically, I mean, with War and Peace, we we do try to, you know, adapt more and be more, um, more fluid on social media and, you know, try to respect a little bit more, but we won't bend over backwards. You know, we, we definitely like have, mm-hmm. um, we have like this, this sort of, I'd say like intuitive backbone where we like, we'll do some things, but we won't do all the stupid stuff that's so, like, we won't jump through all the hoops, you know, like, right. I think Instagram you gotta find the ones you can of, live with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like Instagram, for example, they want a lot of people to do like live streams and do like all of this crazy stuff, like three, four times a week. And that's just something that, you know, I cannot incorporate that into my work life. That's just not feasible for me. Um, or, you know, a lot of other things like doing like um, more of like, oh, you know, here's this new energy bar and this will help you do a graphic novel a month. And, you know, just like promote, <laughs> promote some ridiculous product. And that's how people, I mean, that's how a lot of people earn money on Instagram. But mm-hmm. that's also something that we don't want to do. That's just something where we're like, no, that's invasive and um and it's also not sincere at least not for us because we don't we would we would never promote a product that we don't use personally um Mm -hmm. so if usually it's just like us basically writing like wakeham or adobe would be like hey (laughs) do you want to sponsor us because we work on your stuff anyway and then it's just them not responding (laughs) to like our email so that's just basically it it's not that we don't try to you know get like Cool shit or free shit. It's just that they don't answer. <laughs> so so far, we've been paying for the stuff ourselves. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you know, I mean, that is, I think, one of the hard things with Instagram is like, it's. I, some days it feels like it's eighty percent ads. You know, I'm like, oh, it is. yeah, what? Like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm just being like, you know, sold to constantly. Um, right now, like, there's a lot of movers. Like, a lot of people are like advertising movers, and I was just like, this is weird. I'm having a weird time. Um, yeah. Also, because I'm moving, was, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Not to like plug another podcast, but I was like just listening to this phenomenon. Uh, I think they called mm. it enchidification of social media platforms. And it's mm. basically what I think from Comic Lab podcasts, I think they're called. And it was basically just talking about this phenomenon that, you know, platforms start out really, really cool. And then they just get more and more shitty because you have to see more and more advertising. And yeah. the people that are creating like the art aren't the ones making like aren't the ones profiting from it, which is like the insane part, you know, mm. so they eventually leave or the, the platform will just have less and less like cool stuff on it and just more and more um, advertising and the people will get annoyed and they'll start, you know, leaving. And then uh, the next platform starts up and the uh, cycle begins anew. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, so say that name of that podcast again. I want to make sure I write it down. Uh, wait a minute. I think it's just called Comic Lab. Comic Lab. And this words. episode was the... And I missed the word you said for this episode. Enchidification. Enchidification. Okay, I'm going to have to listen to that. It sounds like extreme yeah, magic. I thought it was, and you should always um, feel free to bring up other podcasts here. <laughs> we love it. Okay. Okay, great. You know, I wasn't sure because um, I do listen. I, I, I'm i a big fan of podcasts. I love listening to podcasts, especially when I'm working on a book. And I just started um, The Next mm. Fun Girl um, oh, like, so in excited. the last couple of weeks. Yeah, me oh too. God. And uh, so and podcasts, exciting. I 
there would exist no books if there were no podcasts because they literally <laughs> saved me from like I think a lot of artists out. feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Comic artistry is such monotonous work. I mean, it's not very exciting. You're sitting at a desk for like eight to 10 hours a day and you need something to keep your brain stimulated. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that feels very real. Um, you know, I one of the things I noticed is that you have published a book every year for the last four years. So you've you've been busy. And, you know, I, I want to sort of move into Fun Girl Town. But before we do that, I did want to just talk a little bit about the War and Peas 2020 collection, um, which I think is just so delightful. The cover is this, I realized today I was looking at the cover and I was like, this is such a good cover because it has Slutty Witch and the Grim Reaper on it. And then I was like, oh my God, it's American Gothic. I didn't realize <laughs> it at first. And I was like, that makes it so much funnier to have like, you know, the oh, scythe no. instead of the pitchfork. Like I was just dying, dying. That is so pitch perfect. Uh, and uh, just such a funny, it's such a funny collection. It's, you know, there, I think most of them are strips that have appeared on, on your, your webcomic, if I'm correct. Um, but, you know, it's just the way they're put together. It's just so fun. And then there's, oh my God, that amazing tribute to Leica, the, the first dog, the first astronaut who was a dog. I was like, yeah. I love this so much. So I'm just curious for you, like what was important when putting together this collection specifically? Um, I think it was just time for us to make a book. I think Jonathan and I we were like very we're both big book lovers, like big book readers, and um, yeah, we just enjoy books a lot. So I think um, making um making a comic or comic collection in print form was always something that we definitely wanted to do, and um, we had uh like the great opportunity to do it with Andrews McNeil, which is just like a really awesome publisher. So when we realized like, oh yeah, they want to do a book with, us, book, book with us, we were completely on board. And then it was just about like selecting um, the comics that we thought would, would work well together and sort of like build like mm. a little bit of an arc and then supplementing it with some new comics. So we have about like, I think uh, 70% are like things that were already out there. And then 30%, I think we did like new, new strips um, mm. that are just in the mm. book. Yeah. So I think that was like just for us, like because up until that point, everything was like just scattered all over the Web and we didn't really like, you know, we wanted something to hold in our hands and be like, oh, yeah, we made mm. this thing. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous because Web like the Web is real and Internet is real, but it doesn't feel like that sometimes still like I think to Web comic creators. And I think like making a book is you know, kind of silly in a silly way, still like the standard of like being a, a, an author of something. And I think that's changing more and more. But at least at least for me, I mean, I grew up on books. So um, I mean, maybe with like the next generation of like, they're going to maybe be more digitally like, you know, more ingrained and like, oh, yeah, things are digital and totally real and palpable, feel palpable to them. But for us, like it was like, oh, yeah, book. Wow, we made a book. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, there is something about l literally holding it in your hands, right? You're like, talk about they can't take this away from you. Like, they literally couldn't take this book from you, you know? Like, yeah. so it's, it's, there's something about that that I think is real for a lot of people, but I hadn't thought about what you just posited, which is, will future generations feel that way? I'm like, oh my God, that's really fascinating. I look forward yeah. to staying alive to see what happens. Yeah, we will. And and I, I like what you just said. Also, like the permanence of a book is something that, you know, can't be matched in the digital world. Like even like, even like if you take really good care of 
of a of a hard drive, you know, in like, I don't know, 30 or 40 years, it's probably not going to work anymore. Um, but a book can survive if you take good care of it. This can survive, you know, centuries, maybe even like a millennium. Um, and that's just makes that's I mean, books are just amazing. You know, they they're they're yeah, they're just like these these um these pieces of time that have become material that are, you know, they're un yeah, they have something really like um really yeah, timeless and I I hope they never go away. I'm yeah. Me too. Me too. I love books. Well, hello there, listeners. It's me, your beloved Essie, back to tell you about something that maybe you don't know about yet that you might want to take advantage of. Did you know we're active over on Patreon? We're at a new address. It's patreon.com slash queerspec. If you go to patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics, it still redirects there for the time being. But we're at patreon.com slash queerspec. And we have just uh, so many episodes. We have over a hundred back episodes and we're constantly coming out with new stuff. We have these amazing conversations where Priya, our editorial coordinator and Sarah Sentry, one of our hosts, sit down and talk about the Phoenix saga. (laughs) They call these episodes the bitches of X. They are fucking incredible and I hope you will tune in. You also typically get early access to our episodes each week. And other fun stuff, we've done Christmas bonuses, we do interviews that are only available on our Patreon, we provide all the inside scoops before you even know you need them, the whole shebang. We hope you'll join us there. Again, it's patreon.com slash queerspec. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And speaking of loving books, I'm so excited. Now let's let's time. It's time. It's time. It's time to talk about Fun Girl, which is your independent project. I'm just I'm like rubbing my eyes because I'm like, how do I describe Fun Girl? Which I've been thinking about as like the quintessential disaster bisexual narrative. Like I think this is like the definitive disaster bisexual narrative. And I adore it for that reason. Like I think it's so messy and it's so as absurd as it is, obviously you're 
you're very it's very funny and so it, it leans into the absurd there's still a lot of realness and a lot of heart in it and a lot of like this this feeling of grappling with okay everyone says that like being an adult's like you know if not easy at least something you can figure out and fun girls like i'm struggling <laughs> and maybe not always aware how bad she's struggling but sometimes she is and I think that that is part of what makes it so charming and so you have three volumes that have come out volume one which is titled fun girl came out in 2021 you are revolting came out in 2022 and then this year we got vulva viking which is just a delightful addition and then now you're telling me there's going to be another one which I I, I am just so happy to hear all three, and I'm I'm gonna guess the fourth, came out from Silver Sprocket. Is is book four also coming from Silver Sprocket? I hope so. Yeah. I'd love to do I hope the so. Next Come on, Silver Sprocket. Yeah, definitely. Um I they hope haven't so. I, I don't yeah. It's it's not quite finished yet. It's still like in the in the um, manuscripting and storyboarding phase, but I'm I'd be sure. delighted. I love working with them. Well, I mean, the third volume literally just came out. Like yeah, just came yeah. out. So it's like, fair yeah. enough that you're still scripting. <laughs> yeah. Storyboarding. Fair enough. Uh, well, yeah. listeners, if, you, if you're like, oh, I've heard of Silver Sprocket, you're right. We talked to the good folks at Silver Sprocket on episode 130. We talked with publisher Avi Ehrlich, and then we also talked to Archie Bongiovanni and Eddie Adams, who are both also comic creators published under uh, the Silver Sprocket banner. And they just do really cool comics. They, um, I think all of yours are mature. All three of these, I think, are considered mature. And so that's also a really fun part of what Silver Sprocket can do. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go check it out. But back to Fun Girl. Um, I am just so delighted that that these exist a i think we need a lot more uh very messy queer people in comics it feels very real <laughs> to me as a queer messy 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 queer person and i want to talk a little bit like where did fun girl come from like when when did you know oh this is this is the character i'm gonna follow uh fun girl came uh, just as you would expect her to come uh into my mind very um very quickly and explosively, she was just like there. Um, I was like literally walking down the street and I saw um, this bookshop um, in the town where I live, Zabrucken. Um, this was, I think, in around 2015. And um, I just saw this um, bookstore with the with a sign in it and the sign said, Books for Men. And I thought, hmm, what a strange, what a strange sign. What a, what a strange uh <laughs> What a strange everything. And um, and then all of a sudden this character just appeared in my mind. And um, that's how the first episode was written is just basically what she did is go into the bookstore and demand the manliest book in the store. And um, <laughs> yeah, and that's just how it basically went from there. So I wrote like the first 10 episodes that night in like this crazy fever uh, dream. Um, and then I showed them to friends of mine. Um, also Jonathan, who was like my um partner confidant and um and they're like what do you think of these and he was like oh these are hilarious you should definitely keep on doing them so I started it also as a webcomic and just like you know did it like as a fun project on the side and it was very rewarding because it was extremely easy to write a character that's so extreme so for me it was, it yes. was completely yeah it was completely unhinged unfiltered and that's what made it really really fun for me because I didn't have to think about it Fun Girl was for me, she had such a 
clear, vivid personality from the beginning that I could just put her in any situation. I'd be like, oh yeah, that's it. That's classic fun girl. That's exactly what she would do. And I would just be like sort of the stenographer just writing it down. Oh yeah, there she goes again. Okay, okay, okay. Well, what you just said about that's classic fun girl, that's the feeling. Like from the first fucking frame you see of her you're just like ah classic fun girl you know because she just has that vibe she's so lived in you know she's so chaotic and impulsive and you know and not cruel but not like altruistic she's you know human oh my god who could who would think and I really like that about her where she's like you never quite know what fun girl is gonna do and you can never be sure of her intentions behind what she does. You know, it's it, they're they're rarely. I don't know if they're ever malicious. I, I I can't think of an example where it's malicious, though. Maybe maybe you can, uh, but they're often mm, suspect. <laughs> her <laughs> motives are suspect. I will say, like she just she wants yeah. so badly to be seen as like trying, and I think she is trying. But then you're like, what are you trying? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I like how you describe her because I think the ambivalence of her character definitely like shines through. And I think that's something that, you know, I can personally relate to. And I think a lot of others, other people can also relate to is like, this is someone who is, you know, highly impulsive um, and is like, is just on the look for like, oh, you know, where's the next fun thing to do? And, you know, oh, here's this cool person. I'm going to go talk to them. And it's just like so uninhibited in some ways, even maybe like childlike. And, um, and I really like that you don't see, or that you would say that you don't, you don't find her, um, intentions malicious because I really, really hope that that would come through that she really does mostly, um, uh, do things out of like a sincerity like that's something that she wants to do in that moment and if she does something she totally believes that that's the thing to do and um she's she's not really like someone that would um you know be spiteful or to um even like have like hidden head hidden agenda because she's way too um sincere or way mm. too um i think also just way too like uh like joy ridden to be like, you know, this scheming person, like that's not how she is at all. She's, she's very like, um, she has like this kind of weird innocence, like this chaotic innocence of being like, Hey, what are you guys doing? You know, I want to be, I want to be in on it. I want to join the party. And then, just, Oh like, yeah. She walks right in, in on with, her roommate and exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She'll just walk mm -hmm. in on people having sex and be like, so what are we doing? <laughs> people are like, yeah, oh, exactly. We're literally having sex. And she's like, Oh, it's boring. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, she's like, extremely annoying also and extremely abrasive but the thing is she doesn't notice it like I think that's not something that you know I, I genuinely believe her when you know when she's like acting in this way that you know she she doesn't realize in that moment that it's completely out of tune like that she doesn't that she can't I think there that's sort of the thing that that I like about her is that she's completely inept to like this weird social contract that a lot of us feel like we have to adhere to like, Oh, you know, we have to be polite and we have to do the thing and small talk. And she's just like, no, <laughs> I'm going to have this and this. And um, yeah, that's why it's so fun to write a character like her because she's completely wild and um, yeah, just like very impulsive and, you know, always looks like, Oh, you know, um, instant gratification and then when things go go wrong she's she feels sincerely bad about it I mean there's a lot of opportunities where she you knows she's actually trying to help her friends or she's trying to make it better 
I mean, that she ends up making things worse. It's, you know, you can almost forgive her because, you know, she's like, oh, well, she's, she's trying, <laughs> like you said. She's sure trying. She really is trying. You know, I'm not sure she always knows what she's trying, but she is trying, okay? Yes, she's trying so hard. She really is. That's what I think is so endearing about Fun Girl. I'm thinking about in volume one, you know, the bulk of the narratives all over because that's Fun Girl and it should be. But let's say like, you know, one arc at least is around her roommate who is also her ex-girlfriend and then her roommate's boyfriend. And it's sort of this, 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 she plays two roles in their, their life, right? Like she both kind of unsettles their relationship in some ways. Cause she, you know, even if Peter doesn't want to admit it, like sometimes she represents a threat to Peter. And I think he didn't know about that. They dated at first. So that comes out. And then her friend, she's like, yeah, you're, I believe she's a nurse. And then she decides she wants to become a doctor. And, and fun girl's the first person who says like, yeah, you should totally become a doctor. Why wouldn't you become yeah. a doctor? You'd be great at being a doctor. And at the same time, she's she kissed Peter. You know what I mean? She's not, there's not a lot of connection between the different things she does, but that's not from a place of like willful chaos. It's from a place of like, I think she's, and maybe this is me projecting because I, I recently uh, was diagnosed with ADHD. And I'm like a little bit like, I get fun girl. Like I get that she's like, oh yeah. man, I I kind of forgot that I'd done that thing or like I kind of forgot what I was doing and now I'm doing this other thing. And that feels very fair to those of us <laughs> who maybe live exactly like Fun Girl, but not as, you know, I wish I was as free as Fun Girl. That's what I'll say. I'm like a little bit oh, more yeah. neurotic, you know? <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I, I totally wish I was that free. That's one of her great appeals to me as an author, that she's so free can live out everything oh, she really um, is. through her. Yeah. Um, yeah, but well, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. Like, I think um, the relationship that, you know, she has, I, I think what one thing that sh I hope becomes um, that, that you feel when you read it is um, she genuinely has love for her friends. Like, even if, you know, sometimes there will be like this sort of rivalry or, um, you know, this, this sort of um, superficial or like, you know, being annoyed. Um, she ad adores Becky and would, you know, she's like the ride or die best friend. Like she would do anything for her. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she's also there for Peter when he needs help. I mean, that's something mm -hmm. that, you know, she's, she's, she's often wrangling with him for the attention of Becky because they're obviously, you know, both in, um, in sort of like a competition for that. But when, when push comes to shove, I mean, when Peter is attacked by those, horrible frat guys she basically you know jumps in and saves him um and that's and carries him out and you know that's just something that you know she would do because she she loves peter in a, in, in some way in the way that she can exactly. you know that's just like exactly so I, I really hope that you know one of the things that comes clear in the book is kind of like an ode to friendship I, i'd say or like mm. to like this chosen family which is sometimes like this very messy thing i mean i think it's also something that um, that at least like I find really like comforting is that you have like this world where of course you're going to get on each other's nerves and people are going to, you know, fun girl does all of this stupid shit. And she's like, you know, <laughs> she's, she's putting everything into flames, but at the end of the day, she survives and she's always, mm -hmm. she always lands on her feet. And so I kind of feel like it's this almost Jesus like character. That's like, you know, oh, you know, I feel like she, she's kind of like dies, dies for our sins and she keeps standing up again and again. And it's so, it's at least comforting for me to have this, 
um, yeah, to have this uh, person. For me, she's almost real. Like, I, yeah. Well, and and not only does she she keep getting up when she gets knocked down, she like stays horny, right? Like, there's something about the way <laughs> yeah. that she is like she's constantly masturbating or having sex or yeah. oh my god, I'm not gonna ruin it because it's so fucking funny in Volva Viking, but you know, like having sex with people and then like running away. <laughs> It's yeah, so fucking funny in Volvo Viking. Oh my god, oh my god, yeah. everyone has to read Volvo Viking. It's so fucking funny. But you know, there's there's something really powerful I think about seeing someone be, especially someone who's a woman, be like just unabashedly horny, unabashedly like she's trying to get laid all the time. You know, she's at she. <laughs> oh my god, I just remembered the part where she goes to the bar, <laughs> and she's screaming about her Volvo. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. So funny. I mean, that's the thing is like no matter what scenario you find her in, she's plucky, but in this kind of this way that isn't like it there's a sort of childishness to her or like a a carefreeness to it, but it's also like there's like a, a like a libido piece to it. There's something about like she's just so horny she can't be stopped. You know what I mean? And that is beautiful, I think. Really truly beautiful yeah. and it gets her into trouble, right? So in you are revolting the the second in the series. You know, she she falls uh for this this subletter. <laughs> so we go in this kind of yeah. like horror sci-fi direction that is also like horny and like a little bit like kinky and fun. You know, it's like you're you play with such fun things there. She gets to play around a lot that's really, really fun. And then it feels like, you know, in this sort of narrative around her her sexuality and her horniness, so far at least, Vulva Viking like takes it to that that highest level so far where like the whole story revolves around, you know, what she's done, you know, to get laid and what she did while getting laid. And it, it's just it's so charming i think to see someone you know you show us the parts of sex that are like yeah like there's some parts that's like wow that's kind of hot but a lot of it's like sex is kind of goofy too and it can be awkward and it's like vulnerable but also like funny sounds happen you know like it's just so it feels like instead of trying to make it like a very serious thing which i think is also okay but i like this representation where it's it's goofy and it's awkward and it's you know, but she's not going to stop. She's still into it, you know? So I, I don't know. I just really love the way the sexuality, uh, her sexuality is represented over all three of the, the books so far, I get to say. so. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I, um, I do, I do totally agree with the thing that sexuality is, um, is pretty, at least in my eyes, I think it's something that's pretty silly. Um, and I think we're not used to having it depicted in that way. And that's something that's fun for me because, um, you know, having like something that's sensual and really like seductive or maybe like aesthetically pleasing, that's something that I think is very, very, you know, that's, um, fair enough when it comes to sexuality, but that's, mm -hmm. I think that's something that we're, we're used to in the meantime. And that's something that other people can do much, much better than I can. <laughs> um, so, I kind of just uh, I talk about sexuality or I show sexuality in my comics the way that um, I feel I can talk about it best. And that's just that it's something for me that's, you know, goofy and um, riddled with insecurities and people, you know, also just, you know, doing their best. Um, you know, Peter's doing his best and fun girls just like, oh, damn, you know, what am I what did I do here? Or, you know, is this a potential uh, mate, um, you know, always on the lookout for that um, for that you know, for that kick, for that um, mm -hmm. instant gratification, which for her is, you know, but on a, on a, on another, on another note, I think like, you know, 
I think, or I, I hope at least that it, um, that it shines through that. It's not only about like, you know, the horniness is not only about just the sex, but it's also about connecting with other people. Mm-hmm. So I think like in Volvo Viking, I think she is genuinely interested in the person that yeah. she meets there. So yeah, it was just like having like this escape fantasy of like, oh, you know, let's get out of this, the world of this constraint, um, this life that we're both, uh, suffering from and let's, you know, go to a cabin in the woods and, um, you know, make, uh, upcycle, uh, trash, make, make, uh, make a YouTube channel and just be like <laughs> self-sufficient and like all of these weird things. And then she feels like, oh, I finally met my match. You know, I finally met someone I can connect with. And then, and that's something I think that, you know, a lot of readers are rooting for because she's such like, you know, you always think like, oh, you know, maybe one day she'll find someone but I don't, without having to spoil too much, I don't think that's Fun Girl's fate. Fun Girl will always find a way mm-hmm. to sabotage <laughs> her mm-hmm. own mm-hmm. situation again and again. And I think that's something that, you know, is pleasure and pain at the same time. For me, It's I, I know I put her through so much as an author and it, it's fun, but also hard for me. I, I do suffer with her as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she she goes through it. And I think what's nice is, so often, I think when people want to write disaster characters, they kind of want to make them like extra innocent. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, oh, these things just kind of happen to me. And while there's some sense that like, yeah, things do happen to fun girl, it's like no one made her challenge that kid to like doing a skateboard contest. You know what I mean? Like she's also making a lot of wild and fun decisions that lead to like the the problems in her life. So when we're talking about romantically, you know, she causes the problems of her romance. And that's like, it's pretty endearing to see someone just be honest about it. Because like, I think I create a lot of my own problems too. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's like there's some mystical being like fucking up my life. I think I fuck up my life. And then I'm like, I have to be real with myself and be like, you know, you made this problem. And then it's like, but isn't that kind of the human condition too? Like, don't we all make our own problems? Definitely, definitely. I think there's nothing more boring than like a, like a flat or in a too innocent character. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. something like I definitely, I definitely enjoy. You know, Fun Girl because she's she's also pro- problematic. You know, she has some very weird, oh, uh, yeah. you know, views and 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 things that she does where you're like, oh no, what is she doing now? And you know, that's, that's <laughs> just like, yeah, like you were saying, that's just human. You know, I mean, that's basically how um how we all are you know to one extent or another well and i think you know fun girl's so refreshing too because you know we talk about this a lot on the podcast there's so much pressure to create like good queer representation or like upstanding queer characters who make good decisions and listen i think there's totally places for that i love that i think that belongs in the world and like I'm not that. <laughs> like I'm a messy, problematic at times queer person who's done horrible things and great things and probably forgotten half of each to be honest, you know? Like I'm just a person too and I I love that Fun Girl is undeniably queer. She she is so thirsty. She's thirsting over everybody. She's like, you know, dated her roommate, slept with her roommate. Now she's kissing her roommate's boyfriend. You know, she is all over the map again with no maliciousness, which feels very, uh, very rich because I think so often if there is some situation where we get that momentary like love triangle, which doesn't even fully come, that doesn't quite describe the scenario, but let's pretend it does. No, no, it wasn't you know, so often it, kiss and 
It was initiated by Peter, actually. That's right. You're right. I remember that now that you said it. I was like, because I remember her being like, I shouldn't have kissed him. And I was like, I think he kissed you, girl. Um, But yes, you're right. Absolutely. And and like, there's nothing, like, even Becky's like, I'm not going to let this ruin our friendship or my relationship. Like, is it going to make it hard? Yeah, they were mad at each other and they stayed mad for a while. But they also figured out how to move through it. And that, to me, also feels very queer. Like, a very messy queer experience of, like, listen, if you date all genders, you're going to end up maybe mixing your pool of people you date sometimes, you know? <laughs> like, sometimes yeah. you date someone and you're actually better friends than you are lovers, you know? Like, which very much feels true for Fun, fun Girl and Becky. So, I don't know. Like, the messiness doesn't, it's not just important because it's human, but it's also important because it's, you know, a, a kind of, uh, face for queerness that doesn't have to be so so polished or so um, respectable, let's say. Yeah, that, definitely. Um, I think having catastrophes like that or, you know, slip-ups where you hurt each other is also showing that your character, giving your characters um, potential to forgive each other. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that feels like very real, also like in this chosen family structure that I think all three of them live in, that, you know, they're, 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 they're forced they're, they're sort of like stuck with each other for better and for worse. I think that's something that Peter kind of comes to terms with after being reluctant at first to be like, oh no, you know, I want to be with Becky, but then I have to deal with this uh, maniac who is coincidentally her best friend and ex-lover. And um, I think that's just like the baggage that, you know, all three of them have this, have like gone into this deal with each other of being like, okay, you know, um, we know no one's perfect but they are there for each other and um, they forgive each other for their, um, for their indiscretions. And also they, um, I, I sometimes feel like that's, that's like this beautiful reality of like, you know, this family life that they, you know, this quasi family that they have is that um, if you, if you say yes to each other again and again, I mean, saying yes to each, to each other is easy when the, when the going is good. But if, you have, um, if you're going through some rough shit with each other and then you say yes to each other, that's so much more powerful. Um, so those are the kind of stories that I, that I think are really rewarding where you're like, okay, they've hit rock bottom, but then they find, they find a way to forgive each other and get back to, you know, to find together again. And, um, yeah, I think that's one of the themes that I'm definitely going to be working on in the upcoming book as well. Just like, you know, they're, I'm going to, they're going to go through so so much again together <laughs> but I think they're gonna be okay in the end because that's the kind of stories I like to tell and uh, what you were saying about queer characters you know I totally totally get what you mean like this pressure you know oh no I have to you know because I think that's what's unfair to queer creators and also maybe to female creators as well as well to an extent is that we feel like we have to represent a community and that um, mm-hmm. we're, we're not allowed to have work that stands by itself you know, as just like, I am one person and this is my work. Um, I think that's something that a lot of, you know, queer and, um, you know, queer creators just don't, they don't afford themselves that luxury. And I think that's a luxury that we have to afford ourselves. I think that's a big exercise that we have to, um, that we have to, you know, that is something that we should practice again and again when we're in our writing process um, to not feel too obligated by these um standards of correctness or standards of, you know, making, making things for, um, a certain message, because I do feel a character will be powerful if, if it's entertaining, I think the entertainment aspect, and I hope that's, you know, what my work does, 
I feel like the entertainment aspect always needs to come first because that's what people are going to be engaging. You know, that's what pe- that that's what engages people. If if your work is fun and you know people can forget about their you know troubles for you know an hour when they're when they're reading your work. Um, then that's gonna have an imprint on them. That's gonna save, you know, that's gonna save their day, or you know, just make things a little bit less, less <laughs> suck less. And then you have a character that people really, really love, and that they they will follow. And then, you know, if that character is queer, then you know, double bonus, of course, you know, that's cool. But I think the the entertainment aspect is is like first and foremost. Mm, I love that. I love that. Wow, we've had such an incredible conversation. I think I, I have just one one question left for you, but obviously, I'm, I'm uh, if there's anything we've missed you want to talk about, you let me know. I'm so pumped. Um, but in that interview we talked about a little bit earlier with Alipore Post, one of the quotes that really stood out to me that you and Jonathan said was, don't overthink your own art. And I think I saw you say that in a couple other interviews as well. I, I just, this is the one I happened to write down, but I'm, I'm really curious for you, you know, if you would expand on that a little bit and sort of for our listeners talk about what does it mean to not overthink your own art? Mm, yeah, that, uh, it's good that you, um, that you reminded me. I've, I've said, I said, oh, I've said so much great stuff. <laughs> I forget. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's, totally good to be reminded of that because it's something that um, I think it kind of um, has to do with what I was just saying about, um, you know, overthinking it and trying to, oh, you know, you, oh, I want my work to be this. I want my work to be that. I think that's something that a lot of creators have. Um, and I think, I think there's, there's this sweet spot of, of writing. I don't know if, um, I, I mean, I call it writing. It doesn't matter if the process is drawing or however mm-hmm. you go about, you know, your work. I, I, I tend to start, um, with like a mixture of um, writing and drawing. So I usually call it just writing or when I'm doing my storytelling work at the beginning, there's this sort of sweet spot. And it usually comes to me after like a few days, you know, of like concentrated work um, where I'm not so much on social media and I'm not so much, you know, interacting with maybe the news or with maybe like the comment section of some site or whatever. And I'm sort of like shutting myself off for a little bit when the ideas that are coming are feel really, really, um, yeah, sort of like visceral and important to me at that point. And then I, I, yeah, and that's what I like to call like the sweet spot of writing. And it's very hard to obtain that, um, or not very hard, but it's it's hard to obtain that um, sort of flow feeling. But when you have it, it's such a good place to write because in that point, you're writing or you're creating and you're not thinking about it too much. Um, I think there. I think it's not easy to free yourself because I know we're we're all like thinking individuals. You know, we read the news, we see what topics are important. You know, things are constantly moving us and emotionally um, weighing down on us, or you know, invigorating us or whatever. Like, it's like a tug of war of attention all the time going on. Mm. And I think in that in that sense, it's very hard to do creative work without being too um, influenced by that. So I think mm. one of the aspects of don't overthink your work is if you're a storyteller and there's a story inside of you that wants to come out, um, it's more of a process of allowing that story to come out rather than like pressing and pressing and, you know, um, pushing it with like this extremity. I think if you get yourself into a headspace where that where you feel like, oh, here are ideas that are flowing and they feel good to you and they feel like this is a really good story then don't overthink that too much. You know, I think that's like, 
I think that's like a good place to at least start start um, a storytelling process. I mean, then, of course, you're going to have like some polishing and some rewriting. You're going to show it to other people. They're going to be like, oh, well, this scene is stupid and, you know, rewrite that. And that. <laughs> but then you already have like your main idea. You know, you already have like your 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 rich thread to work on. And I think like the 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 rich like the rich main idea you shouldn't overthink that. Like one time, like, or I think like after I finished Volvo Viking, I noticed like, <laughs> I noticed like, oh my God, all of the three books I did have a lot to do with like Volvo. <laughs> <laughs> the last one that even has it in the title. And then I thought, oh no, I can't do that. I, I, I want to be a serious comic artist, you know? And then I thought, so that was like one voice inside me. And the other voice was like, shut up, just do it. Just do what... Mm-hmm you want just write about what you want to write about if some dweeb uh you know if some uh comic theorist dweeb in an ivory tower wants to define what real comics are then let them do that you know just do your thing and that's that's for me also don't overthink don't 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 mm. overthink like your own work in the sense that oh no i need to adhere to this wonderful polished category of great art in comics you know i think there's a lot of gatekeeping when it comes to like some, you know, I, I'm not gonna, not gonna name any names, but I am, I don't even know the <laughs> names, you know, I wouldn't even know who to name. But mm-hmm. I think I think like, as in any art form, there, there is there is gatekeeping, there are people that are like, Oh, this is great art. And this is, you know, not great art. And exactly. um, that's something that's something you can drive yourself nuts if you think about that. And the thing is, every time you think about that, it's taking away energy that you can be using to think about your next story or your next, you know, your next project. So don't overthink it. Don't overthink it is also also a pragmatic approach to investing yeah, your energy into the concrete of your work instead of staying on the meta level of, oh, I have to think about my work. I have to think about my work because that's what the theorists are for. That's what other people, that's what your readers and your critics are going to be doing. They're going to be writing reviews and using big words and, you know, summing it all up beautifully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully nicely, maybe not so nicely. I've, you know, I've experienced both. <laughs> but but that's like the good thing. That's what other people's jobs are for. They are there to overthink art. But your job as a creator is not to overthink your own art. And that's like the thing. Like, I mean, yeah, people sometimes ask me like, uh, oh, what? what uh what is fun girl um like what would you say what does she have like I mean she's like pathologically is there something going on there I'm like I'm not a doctor I don't know I have mm-hmm. no idea that's not your job you know? yeah yeah it's not my job it's not my job I am experiencing her as a person she is for me she's a living breathing person she's full and rich and um and if someone wants to put a label on it you know, be my guest, but it's not something that I'm going to do. I'm just going to tell her story and have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's something really important about resisting labels and and being anti-diagnostic in creating characters that maybe doesn't serve us always for our lives, right? Sometimes diagnoses can help us get meds and therapy and, the, and all the things we need to, accommodations, the things we need to thrive in this world. But I, I think when it comes to character writing, it can become such a you know, Maria Dong said this. We talked to her about her book, Liar, Dreamer, Thief, and um, there was a real desire to diagnose her main character with something when they were promoting the book. And Maria was like, no, <laughs> the point is that she doesn't have these diagnoses. She doesn't have one. And so why would we give her one 
except to make it easier for us to talk about her. But I don't want to make it easier to talk about her. She's a whole person. And I thought that was, yeah. you know, I, I really see the parallels with what you're saying with Fun Girl and that I think that feels like a much more, I don't know, like honest approach to the characters of like, this is who they are because none of us, right? Like, even if you get, you know, you and I can have the same diagnosis and it's like, oh, there's 24 characteristics. You each have, you know, let's say 15 of them, but we could have hardly any in common and we would still have the same diagnosis. And that wouldn't necessarily tell us anything about who we are as people. So I think that's that's interesting to think about how to, you know, to, to resist that again, because you're not a doctor, as you said, <laughs> and because that's kind of not the point, right? Like, I, I love that. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's not the point. And the thing is, I don't think you need to be explicit. I think you can show someone you can show a character and the people that get it, get it. You know, you don't need to spell exactly. it out for them. And yeah. The people that get it, get it. Isn't that the truth? Oh my gosh. Elizabeth, yeah. I think I get it. I think I get it. I love fun girl. I love war and peas. I can't believe like, you know, we've been trying that, you know, listeners don't know this. We've been trying to schedule this for almost a year now. We made it happen. I'm, I'm like, happy as a clam. Um, you're calling in from Germany. So thank you for spending some of your evening with me. Uh, this has just been wonderful. And, and I would just love to know if you want to share your website, any social media, and then, of course, your Patreon with our listeners. I'd love to give you a chance to plug that. Um, yeah, it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with you. And um, yeah, definitely also sparked some some new thoughts with me and, you know, going forward. Um, it was really delightful. So thank you also again Aww. for the invitation. Um, oh, I'm always, yeah, it's, it's so great for me to hear when people connect uh, with my work. It really is. It, get, it keeps me going, uh, truly. Um, yeah, so I, you can basically find me um, with uh, on social media at FFFFunGirl on Instagram, um, same on Twitter, um, and or on my website, elizabethpich.com. So Elizabeth with a Z and a T-H and then P-I-A-C-H dot com. Um, yeah, and that's usually where I will, um, you know, if I have a book coming out or if it's available, I'll usually link uh, over there. Or if you want to see like, you know, more of my day-to-day zaniness, you can just follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Um, yeah. But as I said, as I said, I'm not too zany at the moment. I usually have a, a very boring comic book day where I'm just sitting at my desk, you know, dreaming up stuff and not <laughs> doing so much the crazy stuff. Um, yeah. And um, if you want to support War and Peace on Patreon, Patreon, that would be amazing. That's just patreon.com slash war and peas. And yeah, we do a lot of like, as I said, like secret little comics and, um, you know, some um, AMA or behind the scenes where we show how we do our work and um, how we how we think of our comics, how we draw them and, you know, are up for basically anything. Like just the other day, someone, uh, one of our patrons was like, hey, could you do a WhatsApp or Telegram sticker sheets for messengers? And we were like, OK, sure. And so we just um, popped that out for them. And yeah, we just love, you know, doing doing stuff for them because that's like those are like really like the true supporters. So thank you so much again for everyone that's, you know, just supporting the comic arts. Absolutely. And listeners, if you did not have a pen, don't worry. I'm going to make sure to link to Elizabeth's social and website 
and I'll link to the Patreon for War and Peas. And those will all be in the show notes. So if you are listening to this episode, hit the three dots next to the title of the episode. That'll open it up. All the links will be there. Make sure to go support Elizabeth. And of course, Fun Girl and War and Peas, the kind of comics the world fucking needs. That's how I feel. So uh, one more time, thank you so much. You have been an absolute delight. Thank you to Kate for making us sound great. I appreciate you cutting the times I flub. You are wonderful. Listeners, we could be here without you, but that would be the strangest of experiences. So thank you for being here with us. Patrons, you heard it from Elizabeth. You mean the world to Elizabeth and Jonathan, and you also mean the world to us here at Bitches on Comics. Thank you for being a patron. Thank you for keeping us going. Thanks for being like our our inside crew where we just, we just love you a whole lot. And, uh, you know, that's going to be the up for today, folks. And uh, thank you so much again, Elizabeth. You are the fucking tits. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you're listening to bitches on comics distributed by realm your portal to another world listen away find more shows like bitches on comics by following realm on apple podcasts spotify or at realm.fm Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at Bitches on Comics and on Instagram at at Bitches on Comics. Our website is brace yourself bitches on comics.com if you go there you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs i don't remember what it is i am in charge of updating the website however so good luck thanks for the heads up i'll go to this website now if you'd like to support the podcast you can do so by rating and reviewing us on itunes spotify or stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts you can also support the podcast by joining us on patreon Head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Negra, and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.